Hello and welcome back to the Surefooted Podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm your host and I would like to thank you for joining me today. Before we get started, I want to take some time to thank everybody who listened to our first episode a couple of weeks ago. I really appreciate it. More than you know, I've got some really great feedback from people on it and it really, you know, a lot more people listened to it than I thought would and it just kind of blew my mind and I would like to thank you for that and invite you to listen to some of the other episodes coming up. Be sure to, um, really the, the best way to, to know when new episodes are out is either going to be to follow us on Facebook at the Surefooted Podcast. We have a Facebook page. You can check the website at www.surefootedpodcast.com or you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do those things, uh, you will always know when the new episodes are going to drop. Especially if you subscribe, they'll be delivered right to whatever device you subscribe on. And also, be sure to check us out on Twitter and also Instagram. We have feeds going at both of those places, and you'll also be able to, you know, I'm just going to be putting out some good information about when the episodes are going to drop, putting different things about, you know, whatever study it is I may be going through at the time, or whatever the case may be. It's just a really good way to keep in contact with us. You can you can reach out to us through those platforms if you want to contact us, or if you have anything you'd like to tell us. But thank you once again for listening to the very first episode, and I really appreciate it. So we're going to go ahead and get started with what I'm going over uh, this week. I've been looking at a lot about um, repentance, actually. You know, what, what repentance really means when we get down to it. And I've, I've learned a lot of really interesting stuff. We, we all know what repentance is. You know, it's basically realizing that you're doing something wrong and saying, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to turn away from what I'm doing that's wrong, and I want to turn toward God, which is the right thing we want to do. Now, a relationship with Christ has to start with repentance. Um, you have to recognize that that you're living in a sinful situation, and once you do that, you have to you have to want to turn away from that. Like, I don't think we can have well, I know that we can't have a relationship with Christ when we're when we're living in willful sin that we understand is sin and that we're living in it anyway. You know, when when we repent, we recognize that we're living in sin. We don't like the fact that we're living in sin, and we want to find a better way. We wanna we want to get away from that sin we're living in and get into a completely better situation. God wants us to repent from from our sin. Like He doesn't want us to live in sin. But he gives us the free will to, to be able to make that choice on our own. Now, how do you think God responds to us in our repentance? I saw an interesting little thing on Facebook the other day. It was a, it was a little sign and it said, um, religion is when you think, oh man, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. And then the gospel is when you think, oh man, I messed up. I've got to call my dad. And that's, that's really, um, that that's really what it kind of all boils down to in, in relation to how God deals with us in our repentance. When you look at it from the gospel standpoint, which is the standpoint that we should be looking at it, period, when we know we've messed up, you know, we should want to go back to God and to say, look, I've messed up. I know that I've been doing things that, that weren't pleasing to you. I want to turn away from those things. Forgive me for it, Father God, and let's let's move forward. And, and when we do that, I don't think that, that God is mad about it. 
<laughs> I don't think that he's mad about it at all. I, I think that he's very, um, very, very excited about that. And there's a verse that, that I'm going to talk about that supports that a little bit later on. But I want to get into the story of the, um, the prodigal son to give us a really good example of, of how, how God reacts to us in our repentance. And, and it just kind of blew me away once I really got into it. So I'm going to go ahead and um, I'm going to go ahead and read the entire parable. It's kind of long. So bear with me as I read through it. And then once I read through it, we're going to go back and we're going to break down a couple of things about it and, and kind of go from there. And this is in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of its citizens, to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, when this son of yours came, who was devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, that's a story that we've probably heard quite a few times. It's a story that's really popular in Sunday school. It's a story that's really popular in Sunday morning sermons. It's a it's a good story to be sure, and it's it's full of a lot of full of a lot of really good principles that we can take away from it. Let, let's start to break it down a little bit, and we'll kind of see. A little bit of context as to what was going on at the time when Jesus was telling the story and a little bit deeper look into it. Now, the younger son wasn't entitled to as much property as the older son would have been. 
the younger son was entitled to roughly half of the property that the older son would have gotten when their father passed away. Um, so roughly about a third of the entire estate, which, you know, depending on what the size of the estate was, a third of it could be quite a substantial sum. And when, you know, we, we look and we see what the father did, the father didn't raise a big fuss about it. He, he basically just gave in to the younger son's wishes and gave him one third of his entire estate. And the, the younger son really didn't waste any time. He took uh, whatever whatever the assets were, and it could have been really a lot of different things. It could have been land. It could have been cattle. It could have been servants. It, it could have been any number of things that the father gave him that, that were, you know, considered part of the estate. But the younger son didn't waste any time. He basically liquidated everything he had into cash, and he took off. Um, he, he went to a foreign land, probably a land that had a lot of... Uh, Maybe a lot of things that he wasn't used to, um, that he wanted to experience, but he took off and he spent every single bit of that money on reckless living. We can we can probably surmise a little bit what that reckless living was. Uh, it probably wasn't anything that was pleasing to God, if I had to guess. He probably spent a lot of the money on expensive food and drink, you know, probably uh, adult beverages, if I had to guess. He's probably spent a fair share of the money on pleasurable company, and I will let you uh, figure out what pleasurable company is. But I'm sure that it was, I'm sure that it wasn't a a very godly situation that he found himself in. Now, in 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 verse fourteen, we see that that the good times did eventually come to an end. the The younger son, it says, he had spent all of his money, and when he had done that, a famine came over the land. So he, he, he lived it up for as long as he possibly could. He spent every single dime out of his inheritance. There was absolutely none left over. He was flat broke. And then the good times were over. There was a famine in the land, and everybody was having a hard time getting something to eat. But it was especially hard for him because he didn't even have any money to purchase anything to eat with if there was food to be eaten, period. So he's out of money. It's hard times, and he doesn't know what he's going to do. He hires himself out to a Gentile, um, which is a, a non-Jewish person, and the Gentile sends him out into the field to take care of pigs. Now, pigs, to the younger son, um, would have been considered an unclean animal by him uh, because of his religious practices, and they would have been really a repulsive animal to take care of. Like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't want to be in that situation where he was living in such close proximity to the pigs and and taking care of them in in such a uh, hands-on, down-and-dirty fashion. And and pretty much the situation that he finds himself in there is he's feeding pigs this this slop, you know, which is what pigs eat, and he's feeding it to them, and he wishes that he had some of the same stuff that the pigs were eating to eat himself because he's in that bad of a situation. He's, he's basically hit rock bottom. And if you think about it, most of the time when we find ourselves in situations where we, where we truly seek repentance and we, we really want to turn away from the situation that we're in, it's normally a time when we've hit rock bottom. You know, rock bottom has a, a really a sobering effect on a lot of people. 
you know, you're you're living in good times. You're living in pretty much any kind of sin that you want to. You're you're living it up, and then all of a sudden, sudden something happens, and and you fall from that high, and you end up in one of the lowest places that you you could have possibly ever been in. And and when you hit rock bottom, you have nowhere to go and nowhere to look except toward toward your father in this case, which is what the the younger son did. He had hit rock bottom. He had nowhere else to go. It even it even says that he wanted to eat the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So even all the friends that he had made while he was living this, you know, living this high high and mighty lifestyle, even all the friends that he had made during that time abandoned him when when he had spent out his entire inheritance. He didn't have anything to offer them. So they they didn't take care of him. He was he was completely destitute. Everyone had had left him, and he was by himself. So really, when you hit rock bottom, you have a couple of different options. I guess you could stay at rock bottom, or you can you can turn and try to try to get yourself back into a better situation. And and that's what the the younger son did. Um, he thinks to himself, "I've sinned against my father, and I've sinned against heaven." And now, really, I think the the aha moment is when he realizes that he sinned not only against his father, but more so against heaven. You know, it's kind of like a light bulb goes off in his head. And he realizes that he realizes that he does have a way to make things right if he just humbles himself, goes back to his father, and and you know, it's kind of funny. Earlier early in the in the passage. Once he realizes this, he kind of makes up a little speech that he's going to tell his father, uh, kind of like he's rehearsing what he's going to say. And I think we've all been in situations like that where um, we've we've done something that's maybe kind of messed up a little bit, and we know that we're going to either have to come clean or we're going to have to talk to somebody about it. And we will kind of go over in our head, okay, this is what I'm going to say if the conversation goes this way. This is what I'm going to start out with. This is what I'm going to kind of close with. I think we've all had those times where we've, where we've kind of, kind of rehearsed what we were going to say when we've messed up trying to make things better. And that's, that's what the younger son did. And then he, he decides to go back and see his father. And basically he wants to tell his father, Hey, I've messed up. I've sinned against you in heaven. I'm, I'm in a really bad situation. Will you please hire me on as one of your servants? And he, he thinks that his father will, um, do that for him. So he sets out to, to go talk to his dad. Now in verse 20, um, th- this was really kind of interesting to me in verse 20, you know, he's coming back to his father's house and it says the father sees the son coming a long way off. So the, the father, even though he sent his son out to do kind of whatever he wanted to, when, when he sees him coming, that kind of shows us that the father never stopped looking for the son to come home. And he sees him coming from a long way off, and he takes off running toward him. And when when you look at kind of the decorum of the day that they were living in, running like that was actually something that was seen as not a very upstanding thing to do, especially for a man who would have been in the father's position, a man who was wealthy, of, of good stature, an elderly man um, running for him would have would have 
been something that was really just kind of out of place for the day. It was kind of frowned upon for somebody like him to to do that. It just wasn't a dignified thing to do. But when he sees the son coming home, he throws those conventions to the wayside and he takes off running to greet his son. It shows us that the son had ne- that the the father had literally never given up on the son, even even when when he left him to his own devices. He always wanted the son to return. In verse 22, we kind of start to see how the father reacts to the son coming home. When when the, the father and son, when they first start talking, the son says, Father, I've sinned against you and God. You know, I'm ready to come back home. And before the son can even say, can you hire me on as one of your servants? Before he can finish out the pre-prepared speech that he's already got set up in his mind, the father cuts him off. He doesn't even let him finish. And he calls to the servants and he says, bring some clothes, bring some shoes, the best we have, and bring a ring and place on my son's finger. So really the ring in that is the most significant part. Families had rings that had family um, crests on them, basically. Um, and when when you wore that ring that had that crest on it, it showed anybody you came in contact with that you were a, a prominent member of the family. You were able to make decisions on the family's behalf. You're 100% a member of that family, and and you were entitled to all the privileges, all of the uh, respect that that conveyed. So when the son comes back, the father, um, you know, he he doesn't say, okay, well, we're going to bring you in on a trial basis. We're going to see how this works. We're going to see if you're up to snuff with what the family is really looking for, and then we'll kind of go from there. He doesn't do that. When the son comes back and the son repents and says, Father, I'm sorry for what I've done, without hesitation, the father brings him back in and he makes him a 100% member of the family. And and not only does that, but he clothes them in the finest clothes. He puts them in the finest shoes, gives them a ring that provides stature to him so that everybody he comes in contact with knows that he is a member of that family and that he is, he is back and, and that he is is there in his father's house. After that, he says, hey, we're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate the fact that you're alive and that you're home and that I've got you back here safe and sound. So he calls for the fatted calf. Now, the fatted calf, uh, every every family pretty much had a calf that, that they kept fatted, as it were, that they would use for special celebrations. Now, when you when you killed the fatted calf and had a celebration with it, you weren't just having a party for the sake of having a party, and you weren't just having a party for the sake of the people who were in attendance at the party. You were you were specifically having that party to celebrate and give thanks to God. The fatted calf was something very special that they kept strictly for those for those situations where they were celebrating, giving thanks to God. They weren't having the party just to just to have a good time. They were they were doing it. Strictly you know, really to have that communion with God and to thank him for what had happened. And the father knew that the son coming home was, was one of the biggest things that, that could happen for both of them. So he wanted to give God thanks for that. So they had the celebration with the fatted calf. Now, while the party's going on, the older son, who is the one who has been there the whole time, he was working in the field and he, he comes back and he sees that the, the party's going on, and he wants to know what's going on, so he asks a servant about it. We can kind of see at this point who the the younger son represents, who the older son represents, and we can kind of see why Jesus was telling the story. 
the audience that Jesus was telling the story to was a group of sinners and tax collectors and then a bunch of Pharisees. Now, the the two groups of people who, who were listening at the time both probably needed to hear this story, but more than likely the main audience was the Pharisees. They were the ones who Jesus was really talking to in this story. The younger son represents the sinners and the tax collectors, and the older son represents the Pharisees, um, just based off of what I've been reading. When you look at verse 28, when the older brother has come back and he gets angry because the party's going on, it really mirrors the anger that the Pharisees have been showing over Jesus's interaction with um, sinners on a regular basis. You know, Jesus, he didn't really preach to the already converted. He was talking to the people who needed to hear what he had to say the most. And they would have been the sinners, the tax collectors, the most undesirable people of, of his day. And he, he surrounded himself with them on a regular basis. He always ate with them. He, he talked to them. And the Pharisees, they really didn't like that. Pharisees were really kind of, you know, thinking that if Jesus was really this, this holy man of God or the son of God that he says he would, or that he says he was, that he would he would spend time with the the religious elite of the day, and and that's who the the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. They were kind of the religious higher class for that time period. So in verse twenty eight, the older brother's anger mirrors the anger of the Pharisees, um, who were angry about Jesus uh, hanging out with all the sinners. And in verse twenty nine, the older brother actually protests how the younger brother has been treated upon his return. And that really offers like a, a, a really good look at the contrast between the grace that's extended by the father. And, and in this case, the father is, is God, you know, let's, let's look at the, the father's portion in the parable is, is looking at how God would do things. And you know, the, the contrast we see between the way the brother acts and the way the father acts really gives us a good example of how, how God you know, reacts with how religion kind of reacts. So we see the contrast. We see that uh, mercy and grace have been extended by the father. And then the self-righteous resentment that the older brother has really shows us how being too religious can make us act in those times. Like we, we, we really want to, to pay special attention to this because I think it's a trap that a lot of people can fall into and I don't think it's something that, that we ever do on purpose. I think it's just something that, that more or less we, we kind of fall into doing sometimes. And we, we always want to view things through the lens of grace. We don't want to view things through the lens of religion. When you view things through that, that super religious, super, um, you know, under the law type of thinking, it, it can really get in the way of the things that God has for us and, and really acting out what Jesus had for us to do when he gave us the great commission. And when he talked about um, how we need to reach these people. So we we've seen how the, the brother reacted. We've seen how the father reacted. And in verse 30, the, um, the, the older brother, he actually makes kind of a, kind of a, a weird statement. He, he's talking about the younger son coming home, but he doesn't even call him his brother. He says, this son of yours to the father, which, you know, they were brothers, and the, the older brother was probably really mad. Well, we know he was definitely really mad, um, but mad enough to, to even deny the fact that they were brothers in the first place. That's, that's a pretty bold statement to make. 
And you, you, when you look at that in the context of why Jesus was talking about this in front of the Pharisees and the, the sinners, the Pharisees should, the, the way they should have responded to Jesus talking to the sinners all the time is they should have rejoiced every time that a, a person got converted and every time that a, every time that a, a person repented from their sin and, and embraced the ways of God, they should have rejoiced. Um, because it's it's more people who are, are hearing the good news and it's more people who are who are no longer living in a bad situation but who've decided to follow God and decided to do the right things. But they, they didn't. They they didn't see those new people coming they didn't see those new people who were who were turning away from their sin as being brothers. They kind of had a, a resentment toward them. In verse thirty one it kind of rounds everything up. The father affectionately appeals to the older son um, showing him that he that he loves him, that he's always loved him, and that he still wants him to join the celebration. And by implication, you know, Jesus was really talking to the Pharisees in that moment, telling them, hey, you know, you guys can still repent and accept this good news that I'm telling you. The Father still loves you. You, you can you can make a change now too. You can you can put aside the preconceived notions that you have about the way you think you're supposed to react in this situation and you can listen to the things that I'm telling you and, and you can, you can repent and accept this good news that, that, that God has sent me down to tell you and whether or not, you know, that made an impact on the, the people who were in attendance, you know, I don't know. I know that more than likely the Pharisees would have probably not put a lot of stock into it as they didn't put a lot of stock into a lot of the, the parables they were listening to. I think that a lot of them probably left it at face value and didn't didn't really dig into it to understand the meaning behind it. And and that's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing for them more than anything because it, you know, it really it really kind of prevented them from accepting that good news that Jesus had to tell them. Having having learned all that, parable of the prodigal son has really, really kind of broadened in depth for me. You know, we're used to, I thought it was an interesting story. And I'd always seen, you know, the parables between God and the Father, but I really didn't know the context of the the context of why Jesus was telling that story, you know, based on who his audience was and everything like that. So getting into that really kind of opened it up for me. Now, having having known all this, you know, and seeing how God reacts to us and our repentance. You know, and knowing that that being repentant is something that we don't have to be afraid of or ashamed of, I, I did a little bit more research and and I found Luke fifteen verse seven, and this was actually a super super cool verse to me. Uh, Luke fifteen verse seven. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So. When people repent and they genuinely repent and they they turn away from the sin that they're living in and they turn toward God, God and all of heaven celebrate over that sinner who repented. Think about think about really what that says when somebody turns from the way that they have been living and turns to God and wants to get out of that sin, all of heaven rejoices over that person. That's incredible. That's that's just a mind-blowing thing to think of, but it's great. It really is great. 
So going over the prodigal son today, I'm, I'm really glad I got the opportunity to talk about all of this with you guys. Um, it has really opened up this verse for me and, and really the, the Luke 15, uh, verse seven, that's probably going to be one of my um, most favorite Bible verses going forward is, you know, putting it in perspective of the, the kind of change that happens when we go through that repentance and when we turn from the bad things, the sin that we're living in and we turn toward God, knowing that all of heaven will rejoice over us in that situation shows just how important that that really is. Thank you all for tuning in today. A couple of things before we go. I don't know exactly um, what time this episode will be released. I'm still trying to work all that out. I'm trying to figure out the best times of day that I can release them in, that, that people will be able to to pick it up and listen to it and things like that. So um, this second, um, the second episode, it will be still kind of a little learning experience. I'm going through, um, I'm still trying to set up the website and things like that with a couple of different, a couple of different areas that'll, that'll allow me to, to share the podcast a little bit more. So if you, if you don't get this episode at the same time, you got the, the very first episode, just know that we're still trying to tweak everything. And, and as this goes on, the schedule will smooth out and, and we'll, We'll, you know, be able to do it at a regular time every two weeks. So thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. If you do need to contact us, you can reach out to us on Facebook. Um, you can also email us at Kenny at surefootedpodcast.com. You can email us. If you want to know any more about the stuff that we've talked about, please feel free to reach out to me. I don't have all the answers. I really don't. But I promise you that I will help you dig and we can find them together. And you know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I've really enjoyed the study over uh, the prodigal son, and I'm looking forward to, to the other things that the Lord has to show me. So thank you for joining us, and we appreciate it. I hope you all have a super day, and we will see you next time.